0: Welcome to Keeping It Israel, brought to you by First Century Foundations. This weekly podcast explores how your Christian faith connects to Israel and why standing with Israel matters. Now here's your host, Executive Director of First Century Foundations,
1: Jeff Feuders. Welcome to the podcast today. My name is Jeff, and I'm your host. And our guest today is a returning guest, uh, Melissa Briggs. Melissa is an experienced Hebrew teacher passionate about making the language of Scripture accessible to everyone. Melissa, welcome back.
0: Thank you. Always a pleasure to be here with you, Jeff, and explore God's Word together.
1: Well, we appreciate you taking the time today. And just for those who maybe weren't on for any of the previous ones, I'll say two things. First, if you missed the other podcasts that we did with Melissa, you need to go into the archive and and check those out. But also, uh, Melissa, could you just give us a summary of why there is so much value in studying the original Hebrew language of Scripture?
0: Yes, of course. The Hebrew language is just so rich, and it's so different than our English language And just the nature that every language is, it's slowly evolving over time and changing. And sometimes we might think what we know what a word means, but actually its meaning has changed over time. Or perhaps in the English language or any other language you know, there's not an exact translation word for that. I know that even I lived in England the past 12 years and I'm based in Nashville now. And sometimes there's the British have a word for something that the Americans don't use and you have to pull it from a different language. But the, the Hebrew language, um, you know, biblical Hebrew language goes back thousands of years. And uh-huh. um, sometimes the way that they use a word, such as the word that they have for hope, tifa, is a strong, guaranteed hope that we have assurance. that think that this thing is definitely going to come to pass. And then our word for hope in English is much more wishy-washy than that. It's a weak word that uh is more like wishful thinking and it doesn't have along with it this assurance that this thing that we're hoping for is definitely going to come to pass so that's that's a perfect right. example of how we might think that we know what a word means but actually maybe the meaning is a whole lot better and richer and more beautiful and more helpful uh in its original context in the original language in the scriptures so certainly not everybody needs to be a hebrew scholar but there is um even just maybe knowing 5, 10, 15 Hebrew words could really be useful in a practical way in your daily walk with God and in your understanding of the scriptures. So I love pulling those things out from the scriptures, making them very accessible to anybody and just meditating on them, really.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well, that's helpful, I think, for anyone who's listening in. And we're going to look at a couple of words together today. And, uh, the first one, actually, you just mentioned the English word a moment ago. You talked about, about beauty, how much beauty there is in the original Hebrew language. And, uh, when we understand it more fully, of course, it, it sort of brings those things out even more. So let's talk about the Hebrew word for beauty.
0: Yes, the Hebrew word for beauty, or the one I'm going to mainly talk about is the word yofi. but there's actually a couple different Hebrew words that we're getting translated as beauty in our Hebrew scriptures. So this is actually another great example of why it's really valuable sometimes to go back and look at the Hebrew, because sometimes the Hebrew is more precise than the English. Usually, the, actually, the English is more precise, and usually the Hebrew word maybe has more Nuanced meaning or takes on different facets of nuances of meaning in different contexts. But there's some okay. words, for example, the word for weight in Hebrew. Um, we just have this one word, weight in English, but in Hebrew, they have eight different words to describe different nuanced types of waiting. And yeah. where in Western culture, we don't really spend much time thinking about waiting, we think that it's a waste and it's something you want to rush through. Biblically, we see that it's a really important, nuanced topic and really valuable topic. And perhaps we should come to different types of waiting with different expectations or different attitude. And um, this topic of beauty is another one of these words where there's multiple words with different meanings or different connotations that are getting translated into the English as this one word, beauty, and of course, this word beauty in English is uh just, you know, so loaded. And um, especially for women, it's something that it just seems like, oh, wow, there's so many messages coming from the media, so many confusing messages, damaging messages, harmful messages about what beauty is and what beauty isn't. And it's just so valuable to go back to the scriptures, to go back to the creator of beauty and ask him and seek him what what
1: really is beauty? Okay. Now, before we go sort of deeper into this, um, you mentioned sort of what a loaded word this is in our sort of North American context. Uh, I note that the word Yofi know, gets used or, or has gotten used a lot in modern, um, hebrew vernacular when we travel to israel this is a word that that we hear all the time and uh i was you know reading your word study a little bit earlier and surprised that yofi meant uh you know beauty because it's used so often in in jewish culture as just kind of a hey great uh you know cool sort of uh yofi tofi kind of context so talk a little bit about that before we get into the the deep meaning
0: Yes, you're so right. The just fascinating thing about Hebrew language and the great, you know, a great example of how things change over time is some of these biblical words that are just so rich with meaning and spiritual significance, you know, now in Israel today are being used in a much more casual way. And I don't think there's anything wrong with um, languages changing over time, but it's good to, to know, you know, what the original meaning means when we're looking at it in the scriptures. But yeah. In Israel today, it's just used as quite a casual w- way to say great, fantastic, or even attractive or beautiful, that kind of thing. But in the scriptures, this word yofi is referring to not just the outer beauty, but it's like it can be either referring to the inner or outer beauty of a, of a person or a place. We read that um, beautiful in situation is Mount Zion. Speaking of Jerusalem, but there, we see mm-hmm. this word yofi. And it, um, it also refers to the beauty of God. And that's where we have this, this really interesting thing okay, Lord, how is, you know, what is, what is beauty and how, what does your beauty look like? How are we supposed to understand and relate to your beauty? And how is that reflected onto your creation? And how is it that humans were reflecting a God-given beauty back? So it's a deep
1: topic. So, what would a, a biblical definition of of yofi be? I know you mentioned a few things, but do you have sort of a working definition?
0: Yeah, I'll I'll read it for you. I said that beauty is the appealing, pleasing, attractiveness of the goodness and creativity of God's nature, reflected in God's handiwork and perfectly embodied in the glorified Messiah. So, this is mm. this is who God is. He is a beautiful God, and the way that we appreciate beauty and yearn for beauty, it's because we are made by and for this beautiful God. He is appealing and attractive and amazing and in his character, in his nature. And then also the way he put his fingerprints, his reflection of himself into creation. And it's something we can see in nature around us. I went for a walk this morning that is beautiful river here in Tennessee and the sun was shining and the rushing water and beautiful birds and the sounds and the sights and the smells of spring. Everything was just beautiful. And it just mm. made me stop, you know, reflecting on what I knew we were, the topic was today. Think, God you are so beautiful. And you thought mm. of all of this, like how, how amazing that God is not just a utilitarian God or how we pronounce that word, that he is, he did not just go for basic. He and everything, he elevated and made nuances and was just so creative. And if you just think of all of the sights and smells and sounds of all the different types of foods that he made and all the different landscapes he made, we just see that his beauty cannot be put in a box. And you see it in so many different types of places and so many different types of things. You think of all the amazing smells you've ever smelled of flowers and food and uh the ocean and if you think of all the beautiful places you've ever seen to think that all of that came out of god's creativity his imagination his his character and nature that he wanted to uh show forth
1: Hmm. I, i think that's really telling you know the if you think about that Beauty gets misused all the time. But, but even if you think about what we consider uh, beautiful, um, what what is beautiful to a person to look on, to experience, then we really are um, experiencing a reflection somehow of, of God and who God is. That's essentially what you're saying.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think that this yearning we have in our hearts, that we enjoy beautiful things, that we yearn for beauty is, is a God given thing. And certainly the enemy can take that and misuse that and abuse that just like he can with so many of God's good creations. If you think of, um, you know, God, God made food and he made so many amazing varieties of food. And yet the enemy can use food you know, in a damaging way in people's lives, you can make people obsess over it and eating disorders and all sorts of sins around Uh food. And it doesn't mean that food is a bad thing or that it wasn't God's creation or that it's not God's good design and God's good idea. But like so many things, God can misuse it. Or if you think of sexuality, this is God's good design. It's his idea. But yet people can misuse it and uh, go astray with it and get off track of What did God design this for? What is his, uh, how is this reflecting him? And beauty is one of these things where I think because our culture is so obsessed with it, if you turn on the media and it, uh, you know, turn on the TV or whatever it is, and it can seem like culture saying, especially for women, that this is the most important attribute that you could have. And this is, this is how you're ranked in terms of your value, in terms of your worth is how beautiful you are on this on this, um, really skewed and fickle scale of, uh, you know, a certain culture's idea of beauty. Uh And yet God's idea of beauty is so, is so different. And I had this really cool opportunity to, um, to talk with a group of like preteen girls once about this topic. And I had printed out these five different pictures and there was one picture of, um, the English countryside and it was so green and lush and wild flowers. And another one of this amazing mountain scene with snowy mountaintops and another one of just this desert expanse and, you know, with its own beauty to it. And another one of this dense forest and another one of the rainforest. And you know, I asked these girls, which one of these things is beautiful? And, you know, they looked at them all for a minute and just trying to figure out if there was a right answer or a wrong answer. And finally they decided that they were all beautiful. And even in this group of girls there are so many different just shapes and sizes and skin tones and hair colors and hair textures and just everything you can imagine. You just think, yeah, God, beauty is not a limited commodity to our creative amazing all-powerful beautiful God. And he you know so often we get in this narrow framework of of what beauty is and it's what, you know, Ultimately, the enemy is trying to narrow things down so that fewer people fit into this, this little tunnel that we say, this is, or this is beauty. And so therefore mm-hmm. only these people would be reflecting God's beauty. But the truth is, when we step back, we are all created the image of God and God's, you know, it says that we are his handiwork. His, the uh, I understand the Greek word there is like the same as the word for poem or masterpiece, like, Yes. God is so creative, and he, he specifically created all of us with, with our differences and similarities. And he, we are each reflecting the image of God in unique ways. And his image is beautiful, and we're reflecting his beauty back in that way.
1: That's good. So there's, there's a saying that uh, we've all heard before, beauty is only skin deep. But you're saying that's not true.
0: No, I don't think so. I think that it, you know, in the scriptures, there's these different verses about how you know, beauty's not just from outward adornment, from, but this gentle and quiet spirit. And certainly I'm sure, you know, an experience, if I was to think about beauty or like who I know that's a beautiful woman, that are beautiful women, I can think of some older godly women that certainly would not be on the cover of any magazine uh these days, but they just radiate, the peace of God, the joy of God, the mm-hmm. love of God. They care about other people. They they love God. They trust God. And they just have a radiance to them, which um, uh, we read about in Psalm 34, 5, where it says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. And I think that is... Uh, just one of the best ways that we can reflect his beauty back to him is by actually right. having our face on him. Those who look to him when we're looking at him, it's this opportunity for uh, his beauty in a special way to radiate off of us and um, reflect back to him uh, with a thankful heart and also to other people where they say, you know, there's something different about you that's not because you fit the culture standards of beauty, but because mm-hmm. you have this. This inner peace, this inner joy, this inner uh, trust—that's
1: really good. And on the on the flip side of that, you know, that phrase, uh, I'm sure that uh, I know that I've met uh, beautiful-looking women who did not necessarily seem uh beautiful to me because of their, you know, their attitude, their, uh, their approach, their, uh, the language that they used, all of those kind of things that I'm sure you've met great looking guys who were, you know, Jerk's. So uh, that that really does help us understand this concept of beauty, right? And um, I loved how you talked about reflecting the beauty of God. Great uh, text in in Corinthians. Uh, you know how how you know Paul talks about the fact that we are sort of being changed into His likeness, and he talks about Moses and the glory of God, and how that uh, that the longer you know Moses is with god he's he's mirroring back or reflecting god's God's beauty in that sense, and um probably that's a good segue for us to talk about this next word is is also you know we we know God is beautiful, but there's another sort of element to that the glory of God
0: yes definitely and yeah i I definitely agree with you that you can meet somebody and they just seem so self obsessed and so petty and mean and rude and self-centered and selfish uh-huh. and think that it de- it's detracting from any outward beauty that they had. And the, um, yeah, when we are focusing on the Lord and not, uh, not making the way that we look or beauty, the focus, like it was never, beauty was never intended to be the value, you know, a value ranking system that was never intended to be our worth or our identity, we need our work uh-huh. and our identity and our security firmly in the Lord. Something that never changes. And you know, Proverbs thirty-one rightly says that that beauty, this outward beauty, is fleeting. And even our our whole time on earth is fleeting. But when we're grounded in the Lord, those things those things endure. And we can let Him use us and reflect off of us what He wishes without obsessing about it and making it the focus and not thinking that. Some sort of false, um, false calculation that our appearance plus the admiration that we're getting is going to give us a sense of worth or identity. But it's it's meant to be in the Lord. And you're right. Uh, the glo- God's glory is closely related to this and also something that we're meant to be reflecting back to him.
1: Good well you've done a, an extensive word study on this biblical topic of glory um Kavod in the Hebrew, and by the way, I recognize this word uh, just because you know lots of Hebrew worship songs that I uh, stumble stumble through when I'm in uh, when I'm in Jerusalem. But uh, but this word appears quite often. So introduce us to this topic in the scriptures and tell us a little bit of the the backstory why why you chose to look in depth at this word in particular. Yes,
0: well, I think both of these words, the beauty and the glory, partly as a mother, like things come up where you feel like, I don't, I'm not sure I have this, this topic or this thing figured out. And I want to be able to explain it to my children and I want to be able to help them. I don't want them to have the same struggles I have. And I don't want them to fall into the same, you know, the same ditches that I fell into. And that is such a motivator to look into things that, um, you know, one of be able to teach my daughter, what is beauty? And it's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Just to go back to the beauty thing for a second, you know, my little girl, she's eight now. And, you know, starting from the time she's one or two, she's, she's drawn towards this makeup. She's drawn towards playing dress up and being a princess and all these Mm -hmm. things. You think like, what, what is this thing? And in Ephesians, it talks about how how women are supposed to be this reflection of the bride of Christ and how the bride of Christ is supposed to be making herself ready. And we see these beautiful passages and like Isaiah 61 to 63 about how, um, you know, the bridegroom rejoices over the bride and how the bride is making herself ready. We read and all these things are just seems like there is, there is something that's like almost the gospel message, this, this message of Christ and the bride reflected Mm -hmm. in these uh just sort of innate masculine masculinity and femininity in these things and not that you know makeup and jewelry is the only expression of being a woman or of being feminine but it is interesting i have all these little nieces and none of my nephews are you know drawn to these things and my nieces are all playing princess and Mm -hmm. it does seem like there's um you know it can can go a wrong direction or be taken out of hand or whatever but that there does seem to be a reflection of this um this story of the bridegroom and the bride, Christ and his church, the Messiah and his church, that is is playing out in marriage mm. as it really clearly lays out in Ephesians 5. But back to the glory thing, also uh wanting to teach <laughs> to teach my children and realizing that this was a word, I could not actually define myself despite. Being a Christian for decades, and despite even knowing Hebrew, I realized that the word kavod, this word glory, just seemed really vague to me. And I couldn't couldn't really explain it to anybody else if I wanted to. And when I -hmm. could come across scriptures like, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. It's really hard to do that if you have no idea what the glory of God is, or you have no idea what, what that would look like. So that was really... The, um, the impetus to, to dive into this study is to say, okay, Lord, if I'm supposed to do everything for your glory, I probably should know what glory is and what your glory is so I know what I'm aiming for.
1: Mm-hmm. So here's the question. What is it? What's, what's the definition of glory?
0: And here you go. This is my imperfect a- attempt at a definition. I'll read to you. Glory is God's awesome greatness on display. God's glory is the public presentation of His infinite worth, majestic beauty, astounding creativity, limitless power, righteous nature, unmatched significance, perfect holiness. He is intrinsically worthy of great honor. God is so weighty and important that when this is shown forth publicly, it is described as His glory. Wow. I think
1: you said a lot.
0: Yeah, it takes so much to describe this one. Yeah, yeah. And I think one way to maybe picture this is you think maybe you pay a lot of money to go to a concert to see your favorite musician, and they come on stage, and it's like they're sh- you know showing to the audience their their creativity, their musical ability, their attractiveness, whatever it is that are, draw- draws people to them. They come on stage. Everybody's watching them. It's on public display. There's lights, there's clapping, there's fanfare. Like in that scenario, that person is receiving glory. They're showing forth who they are, what they can do. And the crowd is watching them. They're able to see it and they're responding to it. And I think that's maybe a visual picture that's helpful with, with Kavod and going back to the Hebrew itself. This What's interesting about the word kavod is that it is really closely related or directly related to the word for heaviness or weightiness. Like If you were to talk about something being heavy, you would use this word kaved, like almost exactly the same word, very much related to one another, from the same family of words, from the same root okay. words. And we kind of have this expression in English too. If we talk about something being really important or significant, We might say it's a weighty matter and that's this idea that like god's god's awesomeness is so huge it's like it just weighs so much and it relates back to this um eastern culture where there's a high value on shame and honor and where Mm. honor is connected to this word heaviness and in contrast the word shame is related to the heard Kal about lightness. And so if someone's important or honored, it's, they say in the culture that they're heavy. And if they're dishonored or shameful, it's like they're light, like they're not worth very much, or you know, like it's not worth very much or not very weighty. And so we, we kind of lose this shame honor idea in our modern Western culture that it's not so important to us as you, as if, you know, you go back to the Eastern cultures, even still today, the shame honor thing it's a big deal, and you hear about these tragic honor killings and that sort of thing. You think, who would ever do that? And it just shows how important in certain cultures shame honor was, and it certainly was important. And this beautiful story of of the scriptures is that Jesus, the Messiah, he was shamed for our sake, so that and then was honored so that we could be honored with him. He bore our shame so that we could come to the place of honor with him through his redemptive work.
1: Wow, that's really great. Now, if you sort of think about that, I know that the one verse that you mentioned um, is sort of New Testament context, Um so, so the concept, of course, would be the same, but uh, the original language would have been Greek. But just, I'm afraid to even ask, but but talk to, talk to me about how uh, we can glorify God by what we eat or drink. This is a real practical sort of application.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's what, the, you know, that whole question was something that really interested me because it felt so like, I don't know what that means. and. I've uh, you know, really spent a lot of time thinking about and looking up all the scriptures about food and thinking about how is food used in the Bible? How did Jesus interact with food? Because surely he's our example in this. And we think sometimes Jesus feasted and sometimes Jesus fasted and he used food as an opportunity to fellowship with people and as an opportunity for teaching people, an opportunity for generosity. And he, um, he said that, Food, this, you know, the Lord's Supper, communion, or what people call it in different um, contexts, it was that certain meal was a way to remember him, he said. And so I think what's amazing about God, he is so creative. He designed this word, this whole world, so well, so, uh, you know, just with such precise detail. And I think when it comes to food and when it comes to lots of other things, kind of overcomplicate what we think it might mean to eat and drink to the glory of God that we have to, I don't know, to make it something complicated or spiritual, but. Okay. And we just simply use and view food the way that God intended it as, uh, as something to nourish our bodies as a way to, you know, have energy, have the energy we need to, to serve him and go about our day and do what's required of us in a day. When we use it, um, when we accept it with thankfulness like Jesus did we have you know Jesus being thankful for his food and thanking God for it and when we don't make it an idol and when we don't abuse it when we don't think that food is going to be our savior i think uh people can really go different ways of food either they think okay i'm only ever going to eat organic superfoods and by doing so i'm going to prolong my life so many years and food is Food is my savior. Food is my obsession. That's one way we can go, but food was never meant mm. to be our savior. Jesus, the Messiah, okay. He is our savior. Food is a gift. Uh, food is a gift from Him, but it's not meant to save us. And then on the other thing, on the other side, and I can <laughs> I can definitely go easily fall into either ditch where we can use food to be our comfort. And especially
1: uh-huh. American
0: culture loves to talk about comfort food and how, okay, if whatever you're feeling, just turn to food and it's going to kind of take the edge off of it. But that food was never meant to be our comforter. You know, the Lord gave yeah. us the Holy Spirit to be our comforter and we're not supposed to use, use the foods in these other way. And of course we all, you know, make mistakes sometimes and there's forgiveness and we can come back to him and humility and repentance and he accepts us back and wants to help us and it's one of these things where it's not just having the simple list of rules that this is what you do and that this will make it always glorifying to God like so many things in our life he wants a relationship with us he wants this dynamic thing and maybe in some circumstances you go to someone's house and they put a lot of effort into making you a beautiful cake and the right thing to do in that situation is enjoy that piece of cake with your friends and be thankful for it to the person who made it and to the Lord. And maybe that's the right thing to do. And for other people at other times, maybe the right thing to do is to fast. Maybe the right thing to do is to, you know, uh, eat foods in their simplest form of, you know, whole foods. This is the way that God's made foods within their right balance with the amino acids and proteins and all of that. And it doesn't have to be complicated and he loves to help us. And I think one of the lies that we're fed from the enemy is that God only cares about the quote unquote spiritual parts of our lives that he just wants us. He just cares about the moral decisions that we're making. When we go back to the scriptures, actually, you know, God gave these life giving instructions to the Jewish people that, covered every area of their lives it covered food it covered relationships it covered work it covered debts it covered you know just anything you can think of cleanliness and just like I care about what my children eat not because I'm you know nitpicky and micromanaging their lives but because I know because I have more wisdom than they do that you know if they mostly eat healthy foods that are going to give them good energy and good nutrition their day is going to go better they're going to be able to concentrate on their schoolwork better and they're going to have more energy to run around and all of Mm. that do i love them any less if occasionally maybe we're at a hotel and they choose like a chocolatey cereal and chocolate milk and whatever of course i don't love them (laughs) any less and but usually probably scrambled eggs and oatmeal or whatever is gonna is gonna be a better choice for them and so it's one of these things that that we can when we just when we approach food the way that God intended it to be approached with a thankful heart with a willingness to communicate with God about it to listen to him to care about his opinion and when we just You know, use it as it's meant to be used, not as our savior, not as a comforter, but to be enjoyed and to give us nourishment and to be shared and to be a way that we can practically show the love of God and the generosity to others. I know, you know, maybe times when we've had a new baby and somebody's brought us a meal, it feels so, it feels so loving and so helpful. And it's it's that kind of thing that food can really be to God's glory in that way. (laughs)
1: Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I don't want to get away from the, the concept of God's glory, but but this food topic is very intriguing to me. And I you know, we there's a there's a deep sense of of spirituality just even around breaking bread together and sharing food with other people who uh you know who are of the same sort of faith and, and um even even other people who aren't, uh, you know, don't believe the same as we do. There's a there's an intimacy over the breaking of bread. And I think that, that Perhaps you know there there's something connected there as well. I mean, um, I'm I'm really glad for your answer because I, w- I thought it could be a lot worse when I first asked. Because um, I'm a foodie, I love food, I appreciate food, and. Um, you know, my problem is sometimes I love it too much and, um, that can affect, you know, the whole other, like the beauty conversation as well. So, uh, it's, uh, it's one of those things that we struggle with in our culture, isn't it? I actually joked with, uh, my wife the other day, I said, I've been thinking a lot about this and, you know, we are always talking about needing to be healthier and wanting to lose weight. And, you know, and I said to her, I said, honestly, my problem is not, uh, that I, that I, I hate being fat I actually love being fat I just hate looking fat so you know beauty uh, using food for god's glory i I find that all these things are connected and I'm being a little bit uh light here but at the same time um, there's just so much truth in in what you're saying and I think that uh we do need to be a little less um Uh, complicated about this issue and understand understand that uh, we can reflect God's glory in all kinds of ways and sort of everything in moderation is always and I think has always been a great rule of thumb we don't uh you know, Jesus also said that we don't we don't defile ourselves uh, by by what we eat or by what we drink. You know, it, it really does have to do with uh, our our spirit and um, and our approach. And we can reflect God's glory when our when our heart and our attitude is right.
0: I think you're so right. I think there could be two people that eat exactly the same menu for the same week, and maybe one person is doing it out of striving and feeling like they're not enough and they're not lovable enough. And they're stressed about, you know, the way that they look and they're stressed about their health or something. And the other person could eat exactly the same things with a heart of thankfulness, with the sense that, you know, the Lord is my provider. I'm in his hands. He's my shepherd. He has a plan for my provision and my protection and he can help me. And I can, you know, enjoy these things onto the Lord and reflect back to him and back to the world that, that he did create the food that we need for our energy Mm -hmm. and for our sustenance. And he gives us nutritious food and enjoyable foods. He did not have to make foods taste so good. He is this beautiful (laughs) God that made food that tastes so good. And that is something we can, you know, we can think that God is, I don't know, some people have this idea that God is kind of no fun and sort of, uh, so bland or something, but this is the same God who created this beautiful world, including all the amazing fruits, all the amazing vegetables and so on and so forth. And yeah, you made such excellent points. I think that we overcomplicate things and actually maybe the Lord has already designed into the way that he Hmm. created this world and created our bodies. A lot of the answers to the questions we're having, I have just like another recent example that of how we can just using things and doing things the way that God intended them to be used and viewed can just be such a blessing to us and can be God's provision for us. And God's answer to our prayers. Maybe a uh, uh-huh. couple of weeks ago, i just found myself feeling really easily stressed out by things. And um, I, I just felt like, actually, I know that when I go outside and go on a walk and enjoy God's creation, get some fresh air and exercise, I feel so much better. it's like, why do we, that is God, the way that God designed our bodies, that we respond to fresh air. We respond to exercise. We respond uh-huh. to his creation in interesting ways. And there's all these scientists that have been like, oh yeah, it's so mood boosting to see, to be in a green area. And it's so mood boosting and it makes new neurons, you know, firing and whatever. If you go on a walk, especially outside and just thought, do you know what? probably I just need to do what God designed my body to do, which is be outside more and move more. And it's just making those simple decisions to use what God created the way that he intended it, that, oh, wow, actually I do feel so much better. Now going on a walk each morning versus you know, being inside and <laughs> feeling stressed. So I think that's, that's right, one of the right. ways is that sometimes we think, oh, there's a spiritual answer where I just need to like, pray about this and say i don't know, make it just spiritual but maybe god cares about every area of our life and he designed us our minds our bodies in certain ways and that it actually gives him glory to choose to go enjoy his creation and to, to go for a walk and eat a healthy meal and enjoy a meal with family and friends and uh simple things like that, or I've read studies about how, Oh, it's so, um, it's so good for your brain to uh, like sing in a public set, like sing with other people. You think, Oh yeah, actually there is something that God designed, especially corporate mm-hmm. singing. And when we're, when we're together with other believers, that that that's really good for us. God designed that to be really good for us. And they go on and on with things like that, that science is figuring out, Oh, this is good for us. I think Oh yeah, this is what God told us to do. And he's the one who made us this way and it gives him glory. It reflects back to him that he is a wise creator when, when we're obeying him in the way, you know, you could think about a family, like when a family is operating the way that God designed it to, it goes, well, you know, it goes better than if you're trying to push against God's good design for a family. And so many other things go well in life if if home life is uh you know as stable as possible i mean like that's good god's good design that gives him glory he's the one that created the idea of family that created families and remember uh flowing with him in that and obeying him in that that's uh that gives him glory so we don't have to think that we can only give him glory if we stand up and are saying something at the front of church or something, just our, our daily life can point to his awesomeness.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought up, sort of the other element as well, because there is a, a an amazing uh, feeling when you experience what, what I would have always defined in an English way, God's glory, you know, his presence when you're, when you're in God's presence and and you feel, uh, the, 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 tangibility of that, if that's a word. Um, and so I love the contrast because we glorify God uh, every day in very practical and sometimes even mundane ways. We can, we can glorify God. And then there's also this amazing and beautiful experience in the presence of God where um, you know, like I know you you mentioned, and I, I think I've heard this before. You know, the word uh, Shekinah is not actually in the Tanakh, but but that idea of of God's glory in the uh, in the tabernacle in the Old Testament is also a very powerful thing.
0: Yes, yeah, that's true, and I think there is there is times where you know very much aware, like you're saying, aware of the presence of God and
1: mm-hmm. enjoying
0: his his uh, his presence and awesomeness and nearness and there is um but it doesn't mean that he's not also near when we're doing our mundane things in life and that's that's the maintenance of god is that he's everywhere and that in the, um yeah in the public moments and the private moments and the big moments and the small moments that he he designed us he created us and just us doing what he designed us to do bring some glory like he he made our yeah. eyes so amazing to work. Just the fact that we're seeing speaks to him in these scriptures that talk about, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God in creation, showing forth Amen. his handy work that we, we just can see his wisdom and his goodness everywhere. That it's a lot of times it's us just not being aware of it and us taking it for granted things that are actually reflecting right. him that we would do well to right.
1: Be thankful for and recognize and praise Him for. Amen. Well, Melissa, thank you. That, uh, you know, to bring things full circle, that is uh, beautiful. And, uh, or Yofi. So uh, thank you so much for uh, being with us today. And, and, you know, if people are listening, people are watching, and they want to learn more about the Hebrew language, uh, I know that you're a Hebrew teacher. How can they connect uh, with you and the resources that you have available?
0: Yes, yeah, you're welcome to um, check out my website. It is explorehebrew.co.uk. That's explorehebrew.co.uk, co.uk. So yeah, I teach lessons online and I have uh, word study articles that you can find there. So feel free to get in touch with me. It's um, an amazing language. I teach biblical Hebrew and modern Hebrew and also do sort of... Um, write devotional-style word studies about specific words that I feel would be helpful for people to understand.
1: Sababa. Sababa. That's not Hebrew. That's uh, Arabic. I think that's Arabic, but, yeah. but everybody uses it in Israel. So uh, that's, the, that's the new Yofi Tofi, I think, Sababa. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, great to have you on the podcast again, Melissa. Thanks so much for being with us.
0: Thank you, Jeff. Sababa.